Richie, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. You've been doing a lot of press and, you know, obviously you've been doing press for many, many years. And I've got to just start out by asking, like, what is one question that you get asked so much? If you hear it again, you'll kick something or somebody or whatever. There's a couple weird ones. I mean, the one, the first one that comes to my mind is, um, you know, people ask me as a guitar player, they say, um, well, why did you stop using a guitar pick? And it's kind of it kind of drives me a little nuts because in my in my from my perspective there's you know hundreds of tons of guitar players that you know play without a pick you know and it's like I guess I don't know maybe because of when I started playing you know I didn't do much finger style so mm-hmm. maybe that's why but after after a while it's kind of maddening <laughs> they, why do you why do you play with your fingers well I'm, I mean what do you want me to use if I'm not using my fingers well, how am I going to play the instrument but I mean I know what they mean they're talking about <laughs> the pick but yeah it's kind of a it's a maddening question but it's like how do you actually like even like describe that do you know what I, you know what I mean you're like because uh, well, I don't you know I, I, you know? <laughs> I, I basically yeah, here we are now, actually that was very clever what you did because you're asking me the, the question that I don't like and I'm actually answering it so that was very sneaky of you but um yeah i describe it i just i basically tell people that um i wasn't happy with the way i sounded i didn't feel very inspired Mm -hmm. and so i had one show that it did in brazil and i decided let me try and do this without a guitar pick and see what i sound like and then it all kind of evolved from there so now see i just answered my least favorite question on your podcast See, and you did it kind of joyfully because you weren't asked it, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're pretty clever. I got a good start. <laughs> I wouldn't put that to a vote, man, but, you know, you're you're celebrating like half a century, man, with the new album, you know, 50 for 50. Man, 50 songs. That's a lot of fucking songs, man. Like, that's more than I write in like five years, man. <laughs> You know, so like, were these songs written over the span of like years, or am I underestimating your ability to write quickly? Well, um, I'll tell you exactly how it came to be. Uh, I I had finished what would have been a normal record sometime last year, mm-hmm. so maybe it's ten or twelve songs, and then there there actually were five songs that I had finished and mastered with the intent to release it I, I never released them I don't really know why but um, two of those songs are the oldest compositions on the record and they date as far back as uh, 2000 2001 mm-hmm. and so um, at that point I thought well I'm going to put those out too so I think that put me at like 16 songs or something like that and so when I was on the road I was going through all these this archives material um, things that were things that were not finished you know mm-hmm. ideas um, some things were actually uh, all they needed was a lead vocal and then other things were just nothing more than a bass guitar and a click track and I thought to myself <clears throat> well um, let me see how many of these I can finish mm-hmm. and so I started working on them and then as I started working on those songs I started getting ideas for brand new songs so it kind of snowballed. Mm-hmm. And then something clicked and I thought to myself, wow, you know, I am turning 50 and norm- normally I don't really give a shit about birthdays. I don't really, I don't really tell anybody or talk about it, but <laughs> I thought, you know, 50 is kind of a, 
kind of a, a big one. So that's a milestone, thought, man. Wow, yeah, man. yeah, right. So I thought if I can put out a record with fifty songs on my birthday and another compilation record, you know, a lot of times you can put out a a record with a lot of songs and it's you know remasters and remixes and all that. Right. But um. These, you know, this is obviously all new material, new in the sense that you've never heard it before. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so I thought, well, if I can pull this off, it might be kind of interesting. And so I came off the road. I had about three and a half months. Um, and during that time, you know, I went into the studio and I, and I, and I hit my mark. Uh, I, I didn't really announce it until I got to like, I don't know, maybe 35, 34 songs. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm probably going to get 50 i mean there was a i still have a lot of more ideas that you know i could have did 60 probably but you know i I, then i would be like in a madhouse somewhere because i by by the time i stopped this i didn't want to even get near a guitar or a studio (laughs) or anything well you know if you have 60 songs just re-release this one in 10 years and then just add another 10 songs you know so that should be less work for you right I mean, I know when I when I finished this, I actually said uh, to anyone that would listen, I said, this is the last record I'm ever going to make. I'll, I will never make another record of any kind because I had just put my all into it. And I was and I, I love the record. I think it's the, the you know, the best representation of, of me as an artist. And but now I'm, I'm back again and I'm working on some new material <laughs> with a friend of mine. So, you know, it's just what you do, I guess. I think one of the things I love about the album, and yes, I actually did digest the entire album over like the course of you know three days or so. And one of the things that hit me the most with the album, other than the fact that I absolutely love it, was that they. I mean, it runs the gamut of. It's like a roller coaster of emotions, you know, and vibes. You know, you've got everything from, you know, the dark and brooding to the the mad and angry to the upbeat i've noticed some of the things you times you utilized more of an electronic kind of aspect to it with like drum machines or whatever and then all of a sudden it'd be like this really live band sound to it would you say that this album kind of especially being like you said 50 years kind of covers all of the different moods or many of them that you've experienced in your life over the past yeah year, you know? it does yeah and that's what i like about it i mean um you know some of this stuff I probably never finished because I just didn't know where it fit. You know, when you're making a record that a standard record, you know, 10, 12 songs, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes a song like, you know, This House, for example, like, which is the last track, it, it might not make sense on a, on a record like Into the Black, which is one of my solo records. But right. um, that's, that's what I like about this is that I really, I had that kind of flexibility of, you know, anything the only variable was like if i like it like in other words i didn't have to think oh that's a cool song but it sounds a little too country and western to put out on you know on on a record that's primarily rock with this record i was really able to just focus on each composition and say all right do i like this do i want to share this or not and that's Mm -hmm. really that's really what i did i I just kind of looked at it like um you know, if I liked the song and I thought it represented a part of me, then I would put it out. So, I mean, obviously, you know, this is a lot of music to to digest, especially as like a casual fan or, or not even a casual fan, but just a fan of music in general. Is there 
a way that you would like or that you would you would like your audience to listen to this album like do you kind of go at it and go the best way to listen to it is sequentially or do you say something like the best way to do it would be to put it on shuffle or something so like like what's what how do you envision people yeah. actually listening to it i mean i in the end I, I don't you know i don't really care that much how someone approaches it because at one point when I was trying to sequence it, I, I thought to myself that it was unsequenceable because of, you know, I would hear, hear a song, oh, I want to put that up top, or oh, I like that one. But really, I think in the end, I, you know, if someone asked me like you're asking, you know, I would say listen to it disc by disc. I think that's the best way. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think, you know, I did take time to sequence it, and um, there were considerations in the in the sequence. And so I would suggest you know pop disc one on and just you know go through it and treat that as one long album and then you know move on to the second and third one but that's pretty much what i would do i mean there's definitely a flow to the album kind of very much like you said i can tell listening to it that you really put some time into the sequencing and you know the you know coming up with the idea of the flow how long did that take you go like did you go through i mean having to go through 50 songs and trying to figure out like some sort of flow at some point did you just say oh fuck it i'm just gonna put them in order or like you know how was that process um you know i i knew what i wanted to open with like stick the knife was always going to be the opener because it just just the way it plays, it just sounds like an opener. You know, it sounds like a an opener to a live show, and you know, I thought it was a great way to, to open the record. And then the the last song, "This House," I, I figured that would work well there at the very end because it's kind of has kind of a creepy, kind of haunting thing about it, and it's a good way to to end. Um, but you know, one of the tricky things was the fact that you can only fit a certain amount of music on a disc and so mm-hmm. one of the attempts I did to sequence it I, I, I had like 10 minutes of empty space and then I couldn't fit the other material and then I tried again on the first disc and then it was over by a minute and a half so <laughs> that kind of became a little bit of a math challenge to get that to, to, to work mm-hmm. um, and then you know I guess that was really it I I, I know that I kind of front-loaded the first disc with more of the, the funkier songs, which, you know, is a lot of fun for me to write and play that kind of stuff. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, what I, I don't know, there's, I, there's a lot of cool bass stuff on the record. I had a great time, you know, with the bass guitar. I, I did more bass solos on this record than any, anything I've ever done. Um, which, by the way, is so, fantastic. You know, the work on that was just great, you know? <laughs> What's that? The bass work was fantastic, so I had to give you nod oh, for thanks. that. Like I just loved all that, you know. Well, I've been lucky. I've always been uh, surrounded by great musicians and specifically great bass players. You know, um, obviously I played with Billy Sheehan and with Stanley Clark and T.M. Stevens, who played with Miles Davis, and uh, I had the privilege of doing a record with Bernie Worrell, mm. keyboard player in Parliament Funkadelic and all those fantastic keyboard bass lines that he did, you know. So um, I, I, I definitely uh, have my influences when it comes to the bass guitar. You know, it's kind of funny you were talking about, you know, uh, opening the live show with like, the you know, the first song on the album and everything. And with that, going into that, 
I mean, obviously, you're not going to do a 50-song set. So, like, but how are you going to decide what songs to actually pull into the live set? Are you going to do like a rotating set list? Or are you only going to be pulling, you know, say a few to kind of well, mix yeah, it up I, with some of the older stuff? Yeah. You know, it's funny. In the old days, like, I had my band that we had played together so long and knew so much material. And I used to call tunes. And for years, I didn't even put a set list together. I just say what we were going to open with. And then from there, I just kind of read the room and, and call out tunes. And then we had segues that were worked out. So it was a very, you know, non, it was not a typical rock and roll approach. And then mm-hmm. on one of the tours, I had like three um, variations during the show. I had the, uh, the power trio electric thing. And then we had an acoustic section and we had a piano section where I, I sat behind the electric piano and did four or five songs. So that forced me into a set list. And so I've kept that, you know, moving forward. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, there's definitely songs that are in my repertoire that translate well live and that my, my fan base expects me to play. And I like playing. So, you know, songs like Remember and Help Me and doing what the devil says to do and, and um, you can't save me. They translate well live and, and those, those songs are some of my most um, downloaded or, or you know played songs on, on Spotify or what have mm-hmm. you. So those are in the set. And I think for the new record, um, you know, I'll, I'll have to pick songs that I think will translate well to a power trio. I mean, obviously Devil's Hand, we performed that a few weeks ago on the Monsters of Rock cruise, and that went over really well. Great um, song, you know, yeah. Like, what's that? That's a great song, yeah. Oh, thanks, thank you. Yeah, so, um, you know, I mean, maybe we'll do four or five songs from the new record. You know, the idea of switching it up is is a nice idea, but the reality is, you know, I, I want to be able to really get inside these songs live, and that, and to do that, you really, you really want to, you know, to play a song once and then never play it again is kind of strange to me. Just, you know, a lot of these songs, like "Help Me," for example, which is a song off my record, Twenty Four Hours. Yes, it's evolved into something so different than what was on the record, and in a weird way, it's something so much better. And the reason that happened is because the song has been played now a hundred times, you know, <laughs> or performed. So I think I'll just figure what songs, you know, stick in my head and which ones translate well as a three piece. You know, I could see doing dogs off the new record. Yes. Sound great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was really lucky. I caught the I caught you guys when you were here in Atlanta at the uh, City Winery show. And one of the things that I was so blown away about is exactly what you were just saying about how even some of the older songs really translated into that kind of trio lineup. Did it take some rearranging to kind of make it work or did it does it fall in naturally with the trio? Well, I think it falls in pretty naturally. I mean, it comes down to really me being able to sing and deliver the song and because you know some of these songs you know I get pretty deep into the production with you know harmonies and layered vocals and mm-hmm. percussion and you know, some of the keyboard stuff that's on there that you don't even really realize uh, but when you strip a song down you know you should be able to really get out there with just an acoustic guitar and play the darn thing and 
and it should be able to translate. So that's kind of the approach, you know. This is the song, this is the melody, these are the lyrics, this is the tempo, this is the feel. Now let's try and play it. And then, you know, if something, if we get to a section, like oftentimes, like maybe we'd get to a section where on the record there was more production and I, and I would change it. So right, instead of trying to copy the record, mm-hmm. try something like this. And, and so we do what's best for the composition in that moment. Well, there's something cool, kind of like what you were talking about, how having a song and playing it once and then not playing it again, because in reality, even though the song has been written and kind of, excuse me, and structured, it really takes on a life of its own when it's been played live numerous times, because you have that ability to expand on it, experiment, you know, improvise and things like that. Right. Exactly. So, um, oh, oh so go ahead. That's, that's what happens. That's what happened with a lot of the songs, like the song "Fear," which is an older song of mine. Mm-hmm. The song "Helped Me." Um, so, yeah, that's that's right. So, when I first heard you was back in 1990, when I was uh, sophomore in high school, was with Fever Dream, and you know, guitar for the practicing musician was still a thing. It was still a big thing for me, and they were, you know what I considered the guitar gods, you know, it was like you, you know, Vi, Becker, you know, Blue Saracino, artists like that. Do you kind of look at that period now, or or like look at the guitar period now and see that there isn't that kind of guitar hero aspect anymore to guitarists? And I don't see it like I used to see it in, you know, the 80s and the early 90s, but I was curious how you see it. I think, well, I think it's there and it's very different. And, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I think it's kind of gone next level to some degree. And the reason I say that, there's a lot of guitar players now that are very young and they're on Instagram and they're on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're doing some really incredible things on the instrument. Um, these kids, and I call them kids just because I'm, <laughs> they're not kids, but, you know, to, <laughs> It's relative. As old as I am, they're kids. Yeah. So they're, they're, they evolved uh, much faster than, than we did when we were young because mm-hmm. they had resources. So, you know, for me, uh, I would have to listen to an Alan Holdsworth record and, and figure out what he's doing by kind of, you know, s- slowing it down. Or, you know, it was very complicated to figure those things out. Maybe I'd get lucky and, you know, a magazine would throw some tab up. Uh, but you know now you know they can go on on YouTube and there's all these things or something called the amazing slow downer and you can oh, take yeah. uh, a track and slow it down and it still stays in tune. So you know these guys are able to figure stuff out and, and advance at a really quick rate, which is very interesting. So I think there still is that element of you know insanely talented guitar players out there but it is different it's not it's not the guys aren't doing what we did they're doing different things and mm-hmm. and then the guys that are doing what we did like the shredders i mean there's some insane shredding you know out there if you go on instagram because i have that feed that comes up and there's always some kind of crazy you know guitar <laughs> thing where it's like wow that's like you know, i used to think what i was doing you know when i was 18 was like really you know I don't want to say groundbreaking, but there were definitely there was a thing with shrapnel records that if you if you did a solo, you had to have something in there 
that sounded like it was impossible to play. Right, like and all this crazy sweet picking yeah, and stuff. How you know, are you playing that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, that, that's still out there. But, you know, it, it, but the, I guess the main thing that changed is popular music. Because when I was a teenager, the popular music had guitar solos and, and you know, great guitar playing. Yes. And now, um, you know, there's still great guitar players, but in, in the more popular stuff, they don't really showcase the guitar very much you know compared to what it used to be yeah exactly you know because like you were talking about how things are different you know i actually wonder sometimes if the younger kids or yeah, like you said kids know how, how good they have it with youtube and things like that because i remember getting the tabs for dream of a new day and just you know sitting in my room and playing and going fuck this man and then going and playing highway to hell you know <laughs> and now these kids yeah. are like on youtube like i said i'm looking at them and i'm like god you're 18 like when i was 18 i was trying to read tab man. <laughs> you know what i mean like right but that's what you know that's what it is so now um you know to that to them probably you know fever dream or whatever song you're talking about is there you know, highway to hell. They might look at that and be like, "Oh, that's shrapnel stuff. That's easy. Check this out." You know, I, I think there's an element of, of evolution there, um, which is good. It's, you know, it's exciting. Oh, it really is. You know, and so one of the things I noticed is that, which I actually really love, is that you're you're pretty active on social media, and I've noticed that you're good friends with Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden. So, how did that friendship spark and? Will they maybe be some collaborative stuff from you guys at some point? Um, yeah, well, we have known each other for quite some time. Um, I originally uh, met Natalie, uh, his wife. There's a, a place in Los Angeles called the Sunset Marquee, and, and uh, they have a bar in there. It used to be called the Whiskey Bar. and mm-hmm. um, A lot of times, you know, I'd be recording and recording and, and then at night I'd, I'd want to step out and that would be the place that I would go because there was a lot of musicians that would hang out there and then I went there one night and and uh, we started talking and, and then um, we all went to dinner and, and, and that's how we became friends and they, they have a house in Malibu and it's very close to, to my house mm-hmm. and so uh, we became friends over the last 10 years, more than 10 years and um, so, uh, yeah, the idea of uh, collaborating is is, uh, is definitely, you know, I mean, if you look at my Instagram, it's pretty obvious that uh, <laughs> something's brewing. So I'm not, I don't want to reveal anything or talk too much about it, but um, if you were going to place a bet, uh, you know, uh, I would secretly say, yeah, I think there's something that's going to, something's going to happen there. So. Um, it's pretty exciting, and you know I, I'm a big fan um, of Iron Maiden since I was a kid. I had two T-shirts that I would wear to school, and they were like these baseball jersey kind of shirts, black with white, you know, three-quarter like sleeves. And I had those too. One was one was Number of the Beast, and then the other one was a Black Sabbath one that had a crystal ball and six 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 in the middle of it. So. <laughs> Um, I had that one too, by the way. It's kind of wacky to be friends with Adrian knowing that, you know, uh, how obsessed I was with with Iron Maiden when I was a kid. So it's it's pretty surreal. That is amazing because I was a big fan of uh, Adrian's uh, ASAP album, Silver and Gold. 
like because I loved how he stepped out of Maiden and took over lead vocals. And to me, it was kind of very reminiscent of your stuff. Oh, you know, only it was it was more of like a straight ahead rock kind of thing. So, you know, I, I'd love to hear something with you guys. No, I think that you will sooner than you think. Well, I'm going to put it all on red for that one then. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, as a musician, we never stop learning. And one of the things I always thought is that, you know, we could be taught something no matter what, no matter how long we're around. So, if you could have a 15 minute sit down with any guitarist, alive or dead, who would it be? Oh, man. I guess Jimi Hendrix, right? What about him was something that you'd like to unlock? Well,. I don't know specifically. I, I I guess you know just because he he was in, in rock, you know, the most innovative you know, that I can think of as far as the timing and what was going on, and you know, no one had played like that. You know, had that kind of spirit, and I, I don't know that I would want to be able to unlock anything. I just think that's just his personality. So to me, it would just be having an opportunity to be in a room with him you know sometimes just being in someone's presence is like inspiring enough if anything just to kind of have a conversation yeah i mean so much more comes out of that you know um i mean i I know a lot of musicians that are are great and you know it gets so oh yeah we can jam and play together and what have you sometimes just talking to somebody um it was it can be more enlightening uh getting to know them you know, personally, because then then you really see where everything's coming from. More so than just hearing them play a lick or something, because like you said, you get to really hear the personality. You get to hear maybe a story or something exactly. that inspired something. That's right. Well, so you've released a handful of dates for this tour, obviously in North America. Are we going to get to see you do a, do more shows? Because I mean, I sure as I want to see you back in Atlanta. Yeah, and that's what we're working on. I know, you know, the European dates are all up and and being promoted, and the American dates, um, we just have like the first week uh, or so that are up. Mm-hmm. So I'm I know that they're working on a longer tour, and so they're putting it together. So the goal is to get down to down south and then come across and and kind of end in California. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, I'm that's what I'm anticipating. So hopefully it all works out. Well, fantastic, man. Well, I'm looking forward to the tour. And hey, man, congratulations on f- making it 50 years and still putting out great music. I, as a fan, I really love it. So I appreciate all your uh, just just the, the great music you've made. Oh, great. Well, thanks, man. And uh, great talking to you. You too, Richie. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for the interview. I'll talk to you next time.